Jeremy, we're going to have to use the pulpit night. The other mic is at home on my nightstand. We could use it for a burglar alarm, I guess, to see if anybody's at my house breaking in. But other than that, it won't be very helpful for us this evening. Revelation chapter number 6 this evening. Revelation chapter number 6. I would teach the book of Revelation if I only got to teach chapters 4 and 5. It'd be worth it just for that alone because we get a wonderful glimpse of heaven. But I have to tell you from here on out, it's not going to be that enjoyable. And starting this evening, it's not going to be enjoyable. I, however, am committed to preach and teach the whole counsel of the Word of God, not to skip over any of it, even the unpleasant parts. The good news is I believe that if you're a born-again Christian, you're not going to be here on earth for most of what happens here in chapter 6 through the end of the book of Revelation. In chapter 6, the scene shifts from future events in heaven to future events on earth. We have looked at what is going to happen in heaven between the rapture and the tribulation period. Now we're going to turn our attention to what's going to happen on earth during that same period, a period of some three and a half years. During the tribulation period, Jesus will begin to deal with both the demonic forces and man's rebellion on earth. His, dread, his judgments are going to be directed from heaven but it will take place on earth. I just had to look to make sure he didn't have that scene up there with all the flower, the leaves and stuff. Was there a deer in that scene? I kept looking thinking, is that a deer? What is in the middle of that picture? Your, your eyes are worse than mine. I want you to notice that it is Jesus who will break the seals, the seven seals, and it is Jesus who will direct the judgment. A seal is going to be broken in heaven, and a horseman will appear on earth. With the breaking of the seals and the appearance of the horseman, the judgment of the tribulation begins. As the first four seals are opened, we are introduced to what is called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, Brother Lance has already told me that he's going to stop listening after the first four because I only advertise the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So he's going to stop listening after seal number four. As each seal is broken, one of the living creatures summons a rider on a horse. And these are war horses, horses as symbols of war. Now, I think it's significant, this is not in your notes, but I think it's significant that we understand that what we find in chapter 6 of Revelation parallels what we find Jesus preaching in, John chapter, in Matthew chapter 24. In fact, we'll see that the first seal, or the first eight verses rather, the first eight verses of Revelation chapter 6 parallel what we find in Matthew chapter 24, verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, 3 through 8. Now, let's look at the first seal, 
the first seal, first horseman, is the white horse, and I believe this represents the Antichrist. Now, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I behold, I looked and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown, and it was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, there are some important characteristics about the horseman that I think we ought to take note of. First of all, it says that he sat on a white horse. Now, on the surface, at least, that would make us think that it was somebody really nice. Uh, here's a guy symbolically riding a white horse. And we all know from our Westerns as children that the good guys wear white hats and ride white horses. But that's not so here. <clears throat> He's carrying a bow. But I want you to notice there are no arrows. And that's significant. The absence of arrows denotes that although he is a conqueror, his conquests are going to be made by diplomacy rather than by war. His intent is seen in verse 2 where it says, and he went out conquering and to conquer. He is a conqueror, but he does it without fighting. His is a bloodless victory for he is wearing a crown. Now, who is he? Some mistake him for Christ. But he is not Christ. He is Satan's imitation of Christ. It is significant that this rider on the white horse bears a resemblance to the appearance of Jesus on the great white horse in chapter 19. There are some similarities. First of all, they're both riding white horses. Secondly, they're both wearing crowns. And third, they're both bent on conquest. It suggests that this writer is someone who wants to appear to be Christ, but who is not. In other words, this is the Antichrist. Paul talks about this man in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where, he, where we read, Let no one deceive you. By any means, for that day will come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now skip down to verse number 7 in Second Thessalonians. Thessalonians chapter 2. For the mystery of lawlessness, lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. I believe that's, that is a description of the removal of the Holy Spirit in the sense that in a special sense, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit and his influence is removed when the church is removed. Not that the Holy Spirit is no longer present, but that a special sense of his presence in the church is gone once the church is raptured. 
Verse 9 says, And the coming of the lawless one is according to the workings of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. In the Old Testament, Daniel states there is a coming prince who will make a covenant with Israel to protect her from her enemies, according to Daniel chapter 9. In other words, he's the coming future world dictator, and he will begin his career as a peacemaker. He will go from victory to victory until he finally controls almost all of the world. But according to verse number 27 of Daniel chapter 9, he is going to change in the tribulation period. He's not going to be peaceful anymore. I believe that that comes after we hear that he receives a deadly wound in the head. And after that time, we're going to see a different man than before. Some say, how is it... that the Antichrist is going to rise? Haven't we seen Antichrist, people who claim to be the Antichrist all down through history? There have been people who thought Adolf Hitler was, was the Antichrist. We've seen people who thought just about every awful person in the world was the Antichrist. One of the things that we have to realize is that <clears throat> Satan's not all-knowing. And therefore, Satan all through the ages is trying to raise up an individual to take the place of Christ. He can read as well as you can. He knows there's a prophecy, but he don't know when it's coming. And so he's constantly raising up individuals who I think could have been the Antichrist had the time been appropriate. But there's a particular person that God has in mind. He says that in the middle of the tribulation period... He's going to change. He's not going to be peaceful anymore. He's going to put an end to the sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem. Now you say, wait a minute. Well, there are two things you have to consider then if that's true. First of all, there is no temple in Jerusalem at this point, which means that the temple will have to be rebuilt. Do you believe it will be? Yes, I believe it will be rebuilt. Secondly, he says that the sacrifices will be stopped. Well, you have to start them before you can stop them because they're not presently being made. Uh, Everything that I have read is that over the last hundred years even, the pieces have been being put in place for the temple to be rebuilt. The priesthood is, people are being trained for the priesthood. The vessels are being made for the temple. Everything will be in place when God is ready for that to happen. Now, those are the similarities that I told you about between the Antichrist and Jesus. But there are differences, and the key difference is this. The writer here in chapter 6 and the writer in chapter 19, although they are both wearing the crown... It is, the, is not the same kind of crown. There are two words in the Greek language to convey a crown. There is a stephanos, which is a victor's crown. 
and there is a diadem, which is a king's crown. And there is a difference here between these two kinds of crowns. The Antichrist will be wearing a Stephanos crown. He's a a victor's crown, but he's not the king. He'll not be wearing the diadem. The diadem will belong to Jesus alone. The second seal, the second horseman, is the red horse. Chapter uh, 6, verses 3 through 4, and this is a personification of war. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. Now the Antichrist conquest begins in peace, but he soon exchanges that empty sword, or that empty bow rather, for sword. The rider is said, if you notice here, to be riding another horse. That's significant also because there are two different words that mean another. Another of a different kind is heteros, like heterosexual means that you, that you are attracted to a member of the opposite sex. The other word is alos, which means another of the same kind. And this is the word alos, another of the same kind. He's saying this is the same kind of horse as the first horse. He shares qualities with the same horse, with the other horse, same kind. The rider of the red horse is holding a great, or the word is literally mega, sword. And it suggests war and unjustified bloodshed. We're told that he was granted to take peace from the world. And that they should kill one another as a reference to to civil war and widespread anarchy. Mobs of people coming together to attack and destroy other peoples who they don't like. This would be an ethnic cleansing on global scale. The third seal is the the third horseman, and this is the black horse, and it is a personification of famine. If you think about it, they go together. The third horseman, it says in verse 5, and when he opened the third seal... I heard the third living creature say, come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for Daenerys, and three quarts of barley for Daenerys, and do not harm the oil and the wine. The black horse is often seen as a symbol of famine, and I've given you a couple of references, I believe, Jeremiah 14 and Lamentations chapter 5, in which that is portrayed. What else causes terrible shortages and creates high prices so that people can't buy adequate amounts of food? It's inflation. What did they call, what did they call the day that the stock stock market crashed in 1929? Black Friday. Black Friday. Notice that the rider of the black horse held a pair of scales. It's a symbol of rationing, the rationing of food. 
What is being foretold here is a worldwide time of economic collapse. Just how bad are things are seen in that a quart of wheat, the King James Version uses the word measure, a measure of wheat, and that is just enough food for one meal for one person. He says, then that sells for a denarius. A denarius or a penny in the King James denotes a man's wages for a day. So it's saying that times are going to be so bad economically that a man will work all day and make only enough money to, uh, to feed himself, not his family, just himself. Barley, however, which is a cheaper and coarser grain, it is far less nourishing than wheat, so though it averages a larger portion, it proves less satisfying. But at the same time, it says, but do not harm the oil and the wine. Today, we would probably use the phrase, and do not do not harm the caviar and the champagne. What it means is that the luxury foods are still going to be available for the rich, but it is going to be the poor who are going to have the hardest time. The fourth seal, the fourth horseman is the pale horse, and this is pestilence in verses 7 and 8. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four, fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And the power was given to them over a fourth of the earth, to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. Warfare, extreme warfare, ultimately leads to famine, which also leads to pestilence, disease. And this is the personification of pestilence or disease associated with war and resulting in death. As someone has put it, death rides the horse, but Hades follows with the hearse. We're introduced here to the pale horse. Now that doesn't really sound all that bad until you understand that pale is literally chloros. Chloros is the word we get the word chloroform from. And it is literally a word that means pale green. And it is the color of spoiled meat and corpses. Not nearly as attractive. During World War I, there was such terrible pestilence in Europe that it is estimated that 20 million people died of disease, of influenza, in fact, and another 6.5 million died of other diseases. But now we see that the pale horseman is given the power to kill one-fourth of the world's population. If we go back to the point that the, the earth's population is 6.7 billion people. 
that would mean that over 1 billion people would die. That is equivalent to every man, woman, and child in China certainly dying. These deaths, we are told, would be through the sword. That's death associated with warfare. Hunger, which is famine. With death, which probably indicates disease or plagues. And by the beast of the earth. And I really don't think that indicates lions and tigers and bears but rather rodents. Not near as attractive either. The, f- the fifth seal also is the indication of the beginning of the great tribulation. You might want to take note that this parallels Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 through 18. The beginning of the great tribulation, also referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them, that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. We are introduced now for the first time to a group that we would need to call the tribulation saints. We'll learn more about them in chapter 7. These saints are described as coming from under the altar. That is, they are viewed as sacrifices. These are individuals who are saved during the tribulation period, after the rapture, but who are martyred because of their faith. Now, there's differences of opinion here. Some believe that anybody, and I tend to agree with that, anyone who has heard the gospel prior to the rapture and and has rejected it, will not have an opportunity during the tribulation period to be saved. I'm not saying that's totally without fault. There are others who say, yes, they will have an opportunity. But the question is, if you wouldn't accept Jesus when things were easy, why would you accept him when it's difficult? But regardless of how you feel about that, We have to understand that he says almost all of them, regardless, when they put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to die for their faith if it's during the tribulation period. We're told that they were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held and that they're described as wearing white robes and and crying out for justice. The sixth seal, natural disasters, Parallels to Matthew chapter 24 and verses 29 and 30. Verse 12 says, And I looked, and when he had opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain 
an island was removed out of place. There are six catastrophic events given here. Earthquake, the sun is darkened, the moon is reddened, the stars of heaven fell, perhaps it's describing meteors, we don't know. Every mountain and every island was moved. As I said, these events are also described by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, and I do want to share these particular verses with you. Verse 29 of Matthew chapter 24 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the, earth, in the heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. And in Luke chapter 21, in verse 25, it says... And there will be great signs in the earth and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's heart failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verses 15 through 17 of our text tell us that that men not only know the end is near, they act like it. And these are some of the hardest verses for me to understand. Not understand what they mean, but understand why men react this way. It says, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? So verse 15 says, then the kings of the earth, these are those who thought of themselves as the, the most powerful. And the great men, it says, those who thought that the whole world centered around them and revolved around them. And the commanders, the, the men who thought they really controlled the affairs of the world. And the rich, those who thought they owned everything by reason of their wealth. And the strong those who were self-reliant, those who thought they had no need of God, and the slave. And here I, I think he's speaking of those who always saw themselves as the victims. And as a result, they were angry with God, and they were angry with everybody else. And the free men, those who had worked and bought themselves everything they had, bought themselves out of slavery, in fact, they're what we would call the self-made man. Those who think to themselves, I don't really need God because everything I've got, I earned. And what does he say? <clears throat> they cry out in the rocks and trees to hide them. They, they hide themselves in caves. <laughs> it's hard to picture the great kings of the earth trying to hide in a cave. These wealthy men who own land and great possessions, hiding themselves in caves. 
You see the picture that John is giving us when, when the day of judgment comes. All the things that man has acquired, all the status in life means nothing. It means less than nothing. All the things that man may have given himself to, all the things that they thought were important. So important that they thought they didn't need God totally unimportant on that day. These worldwide catastrophes lead men to recognize that what they are suffering is the judgment of God. What a paradox we see in this statement. And they were hiding from the wrath of who? The Lamb. Isn't that an oxymoron, by the way? We were hiding from the anger of the Lamb. You can say hiding from the anger of the lion or I from the anger of the bear, but hiding from the anger of the lamb. Suddenly, man will realize that they are being judged and there's no place to hide. It still is hard for me to conceive that instead of repenting, And even though they know they're being judged, they do not call upon God. The final question that is asked is, who is able to stand? And the answer is, no one. No one except those upon whom the wrath of God was spent on Jesus Christ. When God's patience is finally given over to his wrath, there is only one place where the wrath of God doesn't strike. And that is where the lamb has already felt the divine wrath at the cross. That is our refuge and that is our hope. He's already paid the penalty for our sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the knowledge <clears throat> that Jesus is our substitute, that he has paid the penalty for our sin, that we will never face your wrath because your son has already faced that wrath on our behalf. Let us never take that for granted. There are so many in our world who yet need to hear. There's coming a day. There's coming a day when it'll be eternally too late. But right now, while there is time, it's still possible to come to Jesus and to receive forgiveness of our sins. Father, I pray that that might change the way we look at our neighbors not just as people that we may have trouble getting along with, people who are difficult, but people who loved, people who you sent your son to die for, people who are going to spend an eternity separated from you unless they hear and receive the good news of the gospel. Help us to be faithful, Lord. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, brother?